Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. If you've been keeping up, um, we are in uh, John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 16, and we're going to read all the way to verse 34. So today's uh, lesson is going to be on John 6, verses 16 through 34. Now when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received Him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one which His disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but His disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had ate bread, before the Lord and given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life into the world. And they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Father, we ask that as we look into Your Word, Father, that You will be our teacher this morning. Father, please guide us by Your truth as we find it in Your Word and uh, change us and make us more like Christ for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we saw this amazing miracle, uh, the the fifth one, the fifth sign that John records us, where Jesus fed most likely about 20,000 people. He fed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And the people responded, if you remember, by planning to take him by force and make him king. That was their response to what He had done. He had done this amazing sign. He had filled their bellies. But Jesus, of course, was not willing to be crowned on that basis. Uh, So what happened? He sought solitude in the hills by the Sea of Galilee. Now, this passage that we get to today is now the fifth sign that John records for us in his gospel. So John tells us in verses 16 through 19, he says, 
Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, then then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. So John starts off by telling us that it had become uh, evening, so it was dark, and they, the disciples, without Jesus, went down to the sea and got into the boat and were going to head towards uh, Capernaum. But Jesus stays behind. Well, soon it became night uh, and the winds picked up. Now, the disciples, among the disciples, among the people on the boat, there were seasoned fishermen here. There were seasoned fishermen in the group, yet John tells us they were not able to make any progress. The winds were too strong and they could not make any progress. When we look at ancient uh, Jewish writings, uh, the image of the sea always carried with it negative connotations. Okay, It was always, when you talk about the sea, it's always dark and boating and it's, it's, it's dangerous and, and just, just negative connotations, right? So in Hebrew uh, poetry, it was always, it was always when you talk about the sea, it always represented something uh, chaos, chaotic, or ominous, um, even destructive. Okay, so nothing good. When you talk about the sea, it was all negative, right? Part of the reason, why, why was this? Well, part of the reason was the, uh, because of the rocky coastline of Palestine. Because, because of that, the Jews really never developed a productive sea trade. Okay, so what are we trying to say? They're just not really familiar with the sea. That's really what, that's what we can take from that. Okay, that's the, that's the application there. Um, now, it was true that there was extensive fishing in the Sea of Galilee, which is where they are. Okay, that's, that's where they're on. Um, and, of course, even John was a fisherman before being called uh, by Christ. But even in the Sea of Galilee, which is not the open sea, right? It's an inland lake. Okay, it's an inland lake. Uh, even even the fact that it was not on the open sea, it was subject to violent storms. Um, the Sea of Galilee sits uh, over 600 feet below sea level. Okay, it's not far to the ocean, you know, where they are, where they're located. So, but this but this lake, this large inland lake, was 600 feet below sea level. So it almost created like a wind tunnel. Okay, that's what can happen. These winds can develop, and it was very common for storms to stir up, really without even notice and um, without even any warning, because of the way it was developed, or the way the way it was situated, so low in the ground. So during this account, even John, okay, the experienced fisherman, what is it? They were afraid. Okay, they were afraid of what was about to happen. But then, while they're in the middle of this storm, okay, these troubling winds where they're able to make no progress, something else happened, and they became even more afraid, right? Even more afraid than the storm. They saw Jesus walking on the water, and then he was approaching and coming near the boat. The, um, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark uh, reveal that uh, during this, this same uh, event that they, were, uh, they even thought that he was a ghost. That's what Matthew and Mark both say, that the disciples thought he was a ghost at first. And so Jesus was walking. It's at night, and he's walking right on top of the water in the middle of the stormy sea, this inland lake.
Of course, we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, And we know that when He became incarnate, the incarnate Son of God, His divinity was covered. It was masked. And it was hidden by a human body. But sometimes, as we know in the accounts of the Gospels, His divinity showed through. And uh, it was obvious to anyone around who He was. And that's exactly what happened here. It's exactly what happened here. His divinity broke through. Uh, Jesus did something that no human being can do. Now think for a minute, um, if, if you were in the boat, how would you have responded for a moment? Think about that for a minute. Um, you're out on a sea, a great sea. It's dark. It's nighttime. The winds and the waves are crashing into the boat. You, you cannot make any progress. Your oars are doing absolutely no good. Um, and so you're thinking, you know, this could be it. I may be drowned in the sea tonight. And then you look up and you see Jesus walking on the water towards you. Now, if, if it would hit you maybe there, well, he can, he can do this, right? Because why? He made the sea. He created the sea with his own words, didn't he? He created everything else as we know. The one, who, the one, capital O, who is very human at this point is also very God. Well, you and I would probably react the same way they did. We would probably be terrified. Think about it. We would probably be terrified. We probably, if we're being honest with ourselves. Well, what did Jesus say? Verse 20. It is I, do not be afraid. Uh, Dr. Sproul said that several years ago, um, he did a study of the I am sayings um, of Jesus and all the ones from the Gospel of John, because there are many. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. All these sayings of Jesus. Well, In all of these sayings of Jesus, Jesus prefaced those descriptions with a strange combination of Greek words. Okay? So we've got to do a little bit of Greek uh, here today. By no means am I a Greek expert. Uh, The two combination, uh, the combination of the two words was ego and emi. Ego, emi. Okay? Ego, the Greek word ego means I am. That's what it means. That's where we get our English, English word ego. Okay, it's ego. It's all about me, right? That's the ego, right? I. Um, but the word emmy also means I am. I am, I am. Put them together, literally, and it says that. I am, I am. Almost as if one was stuttering. We know Jesus was not stuttering. So to understand what Jesus was doing, we need to look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Right? When we look at the name, what's the Old Testament name of God? Of God? Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh. It is translated into Greek by the same construction. The ego emi was translated how? I am who I am. So as a result, almost, uh, Dr. Sproul says this, almost every commentator agrees that when Jesus is saying these things like, I am the door, 
and I am the bread of life, and all the other I am's, he is using his own divine name for himself. Now doesn't that change things a little bit when you read these words from the New Testament? This statement here by Jesus, if you wanted to say literally, he says it this way, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally, Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I who I am who I am. That's what, I'll say that again because I kind of messed that up. Based on the, the text here, Jesus literally says, do not be afraid, it is I am who I am. Now, that's a significant statement from Jesus, isn't it? Um, John Calvin had some wonderful comments here uh, in his commentary on these verses, and I just had to write some of them down for you um, because it was so helpful. Calvin begins by saying, We learn that from these words of Christ, that His presence alone, that we should have abundant grounds of confidence. Just by Jesus being there, we have abundant grounds for confidence so as to be calm and at ease in the middle of this raging literal storm, right? Not a, not, uh, not a, a literal storm, but we have this right to be um, at calm and at ease. But, but he adds, and this is where it gets good, <laughs> where it gets better even. He says, but this belongs exclusively to the disciples of Christ. For we shall afterwards see that wicked men were struck down by these very same words. Later in John's Gospel, John chapter 18, this is when they come to arrest Jesus. If you remember the words, they came to arrest Him. And Jesus, this is John 18, uh, excuse me, verses 4 through 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon Him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? And they answered Him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am He. The same use, the I am. I am He. I am who I am. Now when He said to them, I am He, what? They drew back and they fell to the ground. Were those people comforted at the presence of Jesus? The I am who I am? (laughs) No, they were not. They were not comforted at all. They drew back and fell to the ground. Now the reason for the distinction, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is also sent as a judge to the reprobate. These are words of Calvin. A judge to the reprobate and for unbelievers to their destruction. And therefore they cannot bear His presence without being immediately overwhelmed. Do you see the the stark difference? But believers, us, who know that he has given he has been given to them to make propitiation, as soon as they hear his name, which is a sure pledge to them both of the love of God and their salvation, they take courage as if it had been the raised from death to life, calmly looking at the clear sky, dwell quietly on earth and victorious over every calamity because they take Him for their shield against all dangers. Wow. Two different responses to the presence of Jesus. From the believer, He's their refuge. He's their shield. He brings calm in the middle of the storm. 
to the reprobate, he brings judgment and destruction. Next, this next detail that John offers suggests another miracle. However, it is debated. After Jesus said who he was, don't be afraid, I am who I am. Verse 21, it says, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. It sure seems like a miracle to me. Okay? That, some folks can debate it. Um, I, that seems like a miracle to me. In the middle of a dark and raging storm, and as soon as he gets in, as soon as he gets in the boat, immediately they were where they were going. Just by his, um, just as his mere presence, the boat immediately came safely to the other shore. And so, Doctor Sproul said, "You know, there's an illustration here for us, isn't it? When you think about this, there's an illustration here for us. Now, this story, as John gives, it's not a parable." Right. This this is not a parable Jesus gave. This is historical narrative. John is just telling us what happened, how the events happened. Right. Um, but it can illustrate for us exactly what happens when Jesus comes into our lives, can't it? Life can be at times um, uh, seems like we are pulling at the oars just like these disciples were meeting severe resistance and trying to get somewhere but absolutely getting nowhere in life we get to that point we're not able to make any progress we think we're about to go under right fill in the blank right think of the the times in your life or life of a loved one's where you just didn't think you could go another day. The world, everything is falling in around you. And you don't even know. what I can't even make it through the day. But as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, we're home free. What happens when Christ comes into the lives of His people. He, does He remove all the difficulties? Absolutely not. He does not all, sometimes He does. But He does not always re- remove all the difficulties. But He goes with us through them. And He goes with us through the darkness. And He carries us through the storms. The, the literal storms, but the figurative storms as well of life. That all of us have encountered and will encounter as long as we live here on this earth. He carries us through. It makes a difference when Jesus is in your boat with you, right? makes a big difference. Well, this miracle of Jesus walking on the water was only witnessed by the disciples. But notice that it, it, it did not go unnoticed by the people. Let's read these next couple of verses. Verses 22 through 25. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Now, that's a lot, okay, there that John gives us. What, simply put, what happened? The people knew that Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. So they get to the other side the next day, Jesus is here. How'd you get here? There ain't no other boat. Right? You weren't with us. You weren't with them. How'd you get here? That's, that's really what they wanted to know, right? It's what they observed. And uh, Dr. Sproul said, uh, he didn't give uh, the answer that I wish he had given. R.C. said, I wish he would have said, I walked. <laughs> uh, just, just to see the reaction. What, what would they have said? That would have been very interesting, right? To observe, I walked here. What do you mean you walked here? Well, that's not what he said. Uh, And because, as we know, Jesus knows what's on their minds. He knows why they're there. He knows why they seek after Him. And He knows what they're looking for. So, He ignores their question, basically. He ignores the question about how He got there. And then He says to them in verse 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, if you look at really closely, it is true in a sense that they sought him because of the signs, right? But that's not what John's saying here. John's point is what? They they didn't understand the meaning behind the signs. That's what John is trying to tell us, right? They... They are kind of after him because they ate food, right? They were filled. That's that's a sign, um, but they had still no understanding of the meaning behind them, and that was John's uh, point here. It's like, in other words, it's Jesus is telling them this: You saw the miracle, you enjoyed all the food that I provided, and so 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 you're after me to make me your king because I filled your belly. But will you want me to be your king when you see when I'm about to suffer? You want to enter into the feast, but are you willing to enter into my suffering? Now, and you could pay it another way. Do you want to pick up your cross and follow me? Here, Jesus is giving warnings, right? He's giving warnings to the fair weather fans, right? Do you know those people? We call them fair weather fans, you know? Um, your, 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 your favorite football team is doing great and you're a fan, uh, but when things are not going great, you quickly abandon them. We call them fair weather fans, right? Um, things are going good. I'm on your team, man. I got your back. But what does Jesus know? Things are about to get really hard for Him. So He knows they're here because of the fact that He gave them bread. That's why they're after Him. They have no desire to follow Him into what He's about to do. Verse 27 says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Here, when we, when we think about labor, and we think about laboring for food, um, 
How many, how many times, uh, and Dr. Sproul mentioned this, he says, you know, how, how many times do we meet people, uh, new people on the street or whatever, however we find them in the grocery store or whatever, and the, the conversation very quickly happens, you know, so what do you do? I don't know if women do this. I know men do this. Okay? I don't know. Do women do that? I mean, when I meet a guy, a man for the first time, hey, I'm, so what do you do? That's, that's almost like the second question for me. Do men do that too? Or do women do that too? Okay, I didn't know if that was a man thing or a woman thing. I don't know. Right? I know it's a man thing. Would the men in the group agree with me on that? That's what we do, right? So what do you do? And then what, what, what is your job? What is your occupation? That's what we're asking, right? Well, how many times have you heard, you know, they talk about a job, and, and, and how many times have you heard someone say, well, man, I'm just trying to put food on the table? I'm just trying to put food on the table. You know, when you when you hear that, how if that's the reason that they have a job, okay, it's just to put food on the table. That's it. That's the only reason. How empty can that seem? To know because all you all you're laboring for, if that's all you're working for, is simply to put food on the table. What does that last? It lasts a moment and then it's gone, and you got to keep doing it again. Right? Over and over and over. And now don't get me wrong. For, I mean, especially husbands, right? The fathers. It's their responsibility to provide for their family. Okay. I completely agree, right? Um, that, so it, it's, it's a responsibility. And, and sometimes we know due to circumstances in life, uh, somebody may lose their job for some reason, right? Um, and they have to take something that they really don't like just to get by. Right, just to put food on the table, and there, and, and certainly that does happen, right? Sometimes, um, but but a lot of times there are people who this this describes their entire life. This is not a extreme circumstance. In other words, this is a they go to a job that they don't like, right? That they're miserable. They have really no sense of calling uh, just to put food on the table. And, and if that's all it's about, think how frustrating that can be. Because the food just keeps perishing. It, doesn't, it, it never lasts. It, you never are fulfilled, right? It's always something that you're having to do day after day after day. It never ends. And then so when you get to the end of your life, what was it all for? You know, when you become 60, 70 years old, and you look, man... What did we accomplish? Well, Jesus here is saying, don't spend your life pursuing that sort of thing. Okay? Don't spend your life pursuing that which has no ultimate significance. That's what he's saying here, right? Don't work for food that's perishing. Dr. Spruill says, I think about this every day. I see non-Christian friends get up every day, get dressed, go to work, see the struggles that life brings, and I think, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Thankfully, uh, for us, we know, believers, that this is not all there is. There is much, much more to life than working for food that perishes. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, is saying this, seek which that which is eternal. Invest in that which does not 
perish. Store up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, or thieves break in to steal. Twenty-eight, verse twenty-eight. Jesus continues. What shall? I'm sorry. The people continue. They said to him in response to this about this food, about not laboring, right? About don't labor for the food that perishes. Uh, they said to him, "What shall we do that we may work the works of God?" You see, <clears throat> they misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say. They thought Jesus was saying that God was going to require them to do some sort of work. Right to earn everlasting life. And so they thought, hey, tell us what to do. We'll do it. They completely are not understanding what Jesus is saying here. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Clearly, the people gathered here are misunderstanding. They misunderstood uh, Jesus' uh, prohibition in verse 27 about don't labor, which prompted them to ask these questions, right? Uh, and they were focused on what? Material blessings. That's what they're... How do we get that? How do we get what you're giving? What, what should we do? They're still focused on the material, not the eternal. And Jesus' response here is basically saying, listen, the only work that God has desired is faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. That is the work that we have to do. We have to have faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And that that work uh, that God requires us to do is to believe in His Son, the One who is standing before Him. And even that, what? Belief in His Son as the Messiah is even a gift. That belief, that faith, that's even a gift. That's something we can't conjure up in our own spirit. Verses 30 through 31. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, what is your first response to that question? What? It's it's like they're watching a circus act, isn't it? They're they're treating Jesus like an exhibit at the circus, like a magician or something. What? What sign will you perform then? Another sign. One other sign. You know. Repeat. Yes. Repeat. Repeat. Uh, the question demonstrates 
the absolute and total spiritual blindness of the people there. Completely spiritual blind. Spiritual blindness. They're, 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 they're shallow uh, and they have this selfish curiosity. <laughs> These people just witness what? How many people did he just feed? With some fish and some loaves? Was that not enough? I just fed 20,000 people with a little bit of scraps, with a little boy's lunch, basically, right? Was that not an, a sufficient sign to show you who I am? And that's kind of, you know, if you put yourself in his position for a minute, I know it's kind of scary, but I mean, it, it, look what we just did. Then he says, even Moses done that. It's like, hey. big deal. What is it reminds me? Um, remember what Jesus says in Matthew twelve verse thirty nine, when they were talking about signs. Jesus answered them and said to them, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign." But isn't that pretty scary? Because we can fall into that same trap. That same yes, we can. Trap of thinking, God, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of just being okay with him being in the boat with me, right? Instead of that being enough, then Jesus, you got to do something for me. Same idea. You're right. You and I are guilty of signing the same kind of stuff, aren't we? Show me a sign. Do a work. Change. I'm in a terrible situation. It's not enough, Jesus, that you're here with me. I want you to change it, and make it better. Right? That's that's we we do that, don't we? But Jesus said, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign." the 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 crowd's logic, if they had any, appeared to be that Jesus's miraculous. Uh, feeding of the 20,000 was small compared to what Moses did. Because they brought up Moses, right? And they said, hey, you just did this, but hey man, look what Moses did. He's, he's trying to say, that didn't really compare. Moses is what he did was much greater than what you did. They were looking for some sort of response. Some They were demanding, in a sense, that Jesus outdo Moses. Can you do more than he did? Um, it's it's yes. It's sad, but as Miss Pam said, we're guilty a lot of times of doing something very similar. Verses thirty-two through thirty-three. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. That my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of heaven is for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life into the world. Jesus is correcting them here a little bit, right? Who gave the people the bread in the desert when Moses was there? Who gave? Who brought it? Did Moses bring it? Who brought it? God brought it, didn't He? Moses was the instrument. Okay, we'll give you that. But who? Where did it come from? It came from God in heaven, right? So Jesus is correcting them here a little bit. The manna that God gave 
to Israel in the Old Testament was temporary and it perished. And it was only a meager shadow or a foretaste of what God would offer them in the true bread, the true bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, the one that the Father would send who gives spiritual and eternal life to all His people. Jesus is correcting them because they have misunderstood what the the miracles and signs in the Old Testament were all about. They were all about what? Pointing to what would come. Namely, Himself. They were all pointing to Himself. Verse 34, Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And that sounds for a minute, or maybe they're starting to get it, but I don't think so. Right? Sounds, oh, that that's sounds good. You said something? No, not really. They're still, they don't get it. This uh, statement uh, once again demonstrates their blindness. They still do not see Jesus for who He is. They were thinking of some physical bread. They still got that. Their bellies were full. Um, and they're still thinking about that, and they fail to understand uh, the spiritual implication of what Jesus just said about Himself being the bread. That's what He just said, right? For the bread of God is He, He's talking about Himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the true bread of heaven. It's Me. It's not the loaves that were multiplied and given to you. Lord willing, uh, next week we will look at those wonderful words as found in the next verse. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. What wonderful words of Christ. Any questions or comments before we end today? Just like, and to the people, they would have understood what a seal was. Okay, to the people would have understood that when uh, a dignitary or a ruler sends a note, right, or an official communication, what does he do? He puts a seal on the back of it, right? It's, it's sealed. They would have understand what that meant. And the point that he was trying to make here is that God the Father has put a seal on me. I am the official messenger. I am the one that's been authorized to come to you to you people and tell you the truth about what's going on. Yes. Yeah. I've been sealed. I've been sealed with the one who God the Father sent me. I am the real deal. I'm the Father has set his seal on him. God the Father has done that. It's what's he trying to say? I'm the I'm the real I'm authentic. It I am really the one sent by the Father. Any other questions or comments before we close in prayer? I do think the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and being heard from heaven, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then the promise that's made to us that the, the Father set His seal on us. He's filled us with His Spirit as a seal of the righteousness that is by faith. Putting His Spirit in believers. He was saying, I've been anointed. Um, as you're saying, I've been anointed to do this, but it's also a reminder to us that the same promise that He makes to us, putting His Spirit in us, points back to Jesus was filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that descended that they believed mm -hmm. was in their presence in the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence with them. It's also, too, we have to think about baptism. What do we call baptism? A sign and a seal. Does the act of baptism save anybody? No. It says what? It prom it's a promise and it points us towards something. Right? So, same kind of application here. It's... We need to be thinking about, about those things. Hmm. Good questions, good comments. Anything else? Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for our time this morning. <clears throat> Father, we ask that if uh, anything that we have said or discussed here today is in error, Father, we ask that You take it away. Father, but where we have heard from Your Word and where we have heard truth, Father, apply it to our hearts and our minds. And Father, we pray that you will continue to use your word, uh, the mean, ordinary means of grace, Father, to, to sharpen us and to make us more like Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.